Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Match Point Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, our third Grand Slam of the season already upon us. I mean, we know we've touched on how quick the grass court season is in full swing and uh, we're ready for Wimbledon. I I can't believe, uh, you know, the most prestigious tournament of the year is already here. I am. I'm so stoked. Uh, You know, it's, it's the end of the school year. My kids are settling into almost summer vacation. They're getting excited to watch Wimbledon because I tell them all my stories of how I always used to watch it at the start of summer vacation as a kid. It's an exciting time. Um, The, the best grass court tournament of the year, in my opinion, the best tournament period. Um, and I put out a little poll on our Matchpoint Canada Twitter account a little bit earlier. Where does Wimbledon rank for our listeners amongst the majors? And uh, 70% of people who've responded so far put it at number one. So I'm in agreement with that. It's definitely my number one. Um, where do you rank Wimbledon when you compare it to the other ones? Um, I, I think it has this untouchable prestige w- without a doubt. Um, and, you know, for my childhood, definitely my earliest memories of watching tennis were um, at my local Kingston tennis club, uh, but between hours of playing uh, during tennis camp, we'd, we'd have Wimbledon on in the morning. So it, it's, you know, some of my earliest and fondest memories. I have such a love for the U S open and the scenes and atmosphere of flushing meadows that that one for me personally might rank number one in terms of my favorite to watch. I, I find the electricity there is just, you know, unmatched, but uh, Wimbledon, I, I mean, you can't go wrong really. The grass makes it so special because we only see it for what, like not even quite a month of the year, it's basically, true. right? It's, it's such a short lived surface. And uh, I, I'm not like a super tennis traditionalist, but I do like some of the traditions, seeing the all white outfits, uh, which is unique to Wimbledon, mm-hmm. uh, seeing the manicured lawns, especially at the start of the tournament when they just look so pristine, uh, really makes me want to get out on a grass court, which is on my bucket list. Haven't yet been able to do that. Um, and, and uh, you know, when I look at the draws, both the men's and women's, which we're going to get into in this episode, I, I just get excited. It throws me back to when I was a kid, I'd print them out and I'd, I'd fill them out as it went through each day, you know, painstakingly, my best <laughs> printing, uh, as if the queen herself was going to review them, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I, I'm, you know, here I am, I got them in my hand here and I'm excited to, to do the same uh, this, this time around. And with my kids, uh, you know, as well as they get into it. And uh, we've been watching a lot of uh, warm-up events on, uh, you know, in the mornings before they go to school. Uh, They've been asking to get out on the courts more. So for me, it's really kind of like coming full circle and seeing it through their eyes and remembering what it what it meant to me when I was a kid. You're so old school uh, having the actual. I thought you were going to say I'm so old. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't say that. It's a good thing you finished that sentence. Yeah, old school. I mean, still the fact that uh, you're you're printing out the sheets of paper and uh, filling out the draws by hand. I love it. I I definitely did that as a kid as well. Um, Plenty, obviously, to talk about on this episode, uh, full Wimbledon preview. I spoke with Christopher Clary, author of The Master, the long and beautiful run of Roger Federer, which is an international bestseller good friend of the podcast as well we broke down plenty you and i will break down uh plenty that's in both the men's and women's draw as well and of course have to talk about bianca andrescu uh back in a wta final as well this past week um but before we get to all that here's my conversation with christopher clary you are listening to Match Point Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, and now happy to be joined this week by New York Times 
tennis correspondent. He's just written a book on Roger Federer, The Master, The Long Run and Beautiful Game of Roger Federer. It's an international bestseller. He's also attended over 100 Grand Slams, and right now he's uh, getting ready for the Wimbledon Champions Championships. Uh, so happy to be joined by uh, Christopher Clary, a uh, good friend of the podcast. Chris, thanks uh, so much for taking the time this week. Hey, Ben, good to hear from you. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure to have you on. I have to ask, have you kept the the full count? What what number would this be on the Grand Slam count of ones you've attended? Yeah, I think I'm at about 104, 105. I don't know exactly how many. Uh, to <laughs> okay. be honest with you, I've been doing yeah. this since my first one. I know was 1990 Wimbledon. Okay, and that was that was Martina Navratilova's ninth and final Wimbledon singles title. Becker and Edberg played in the final and. And I remember being on the old number one court and just getting goosebumps because I felt like I was in some sort of Shakespeare play for tennis. It was fantastic. And I was young and impressionable and had more hair and more everything. <laughs> but it was it was a great experience and really hooked me for life on covering tennis. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. And uh, we arrive now 2022, um, whole set of new storylines feels unusual. We're talking about a, a Wimbledon, uh, which isn't going to feature ranking points of course that's unusual we're going to miss russian and belarusian players but uh, i don't know about you but it feels like now that the tournament has arrived we've gone through qualifying it, it feels like the same old wimbledon to me you know ben i can see why you say that i gotta tell you though i think the theme of of change is a good one um this year and it's it's pretty complete in many ways even small things i mean i've been going as i said to wimbledon since 1990 and they have moved the center court press seats around over the years but we've always had these long wooden desks that were sort of a row that you sat in and you had a big sort of a, a long desk in front of you and they're gone first time that's ever happened. So it's interesting. We have just sort of regular seats, which will be, which will be really weird. Cause usually you had a place to put your notebook in the old days or your laptop in recent years. And then also the, um, you know, more importantly, this is the first time Wimbledon's gone to a, a full 14 day schedule. So there'll be no middle Sunday. Uh, play, there'll be middle Sunday play automatically it's happened in the past when there's been bad weather in the first week but now they're they're locking into that so it'll be a, a more normal Grand Slam tournament it'll be like the U.S. Open in Australia with the 14 days French Open obviously has 15 and then you know I think just the fact that the Russians and Belarusians are not here is is a pretty massive thing and, and sets the tone but and the other thing I was going to mention which is interesting is you probably notice that if you follow the tournament you know online or through the interviews is that there's always been a club member in my time anyway, who's been a minder for the players when they come into press, somebody okay. with a, a, cl a club badge who sits next to them at the podium and mm -hmm. helps them in a monitor the room. Well, that's gone now. First time in ever, they decided to, to get rid of that. They're going to have a normal situation with a, a normal tour moderator there on the side and the player will be alone at the lecture. So there's a lot of changes this year. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know if they just, that's probably the change in administration mm -hmm. coming out of the pandemic as well in the club, but it's, it feels like a, a very new sort of Wimbledon. Yeah, well, that, that's rather fascinating. Um, of course, I haven't had the experience of actually being there, but uh, good to take notice of these changes. And yet, you know, some of our storylines, if we start just on the men's field, do do remain the same. I mean, we see a number one next to Novak Djokovic's name. Um, he's a three-time defending champion. We see Rafael Nadal down at the bottom half. And as much as things change, some things remain the same. Do you feel like these are your one and two contenders, I guess, if we start looking at the men's field? Yeah, the thing is, too, Ben, I think if, if you would have had number one, Medvedev, and number two, Zverev here, if Zverev were healthy, if he hadn't hurt right. his ankle, obviously, in, in French Open, I, I think Nadal and Djokovic 
based on their form, would have probably been number one and number two favorites anyway at mm-hmm. Wimbledon. I mean, Djokovic would have been the favorite at Wimbledon for me, unless he was really, really down because he's he's been the dominant grass court player the last few years, won it six times, three times in a row. And grass is an acquired taste. He's acquired it <laughs> in very much in every way. Mm-hmm. And Nadal, obviously, with his two massive Grand Slam victories, has played so many you know, big points so well this year and, and yeah, has a record of doing well on grass. He hasn't won the tournament in 12 years, but he's a guy who clearly, you know, has won it before twice. And he just seems like it's one of those magical years for him. So I would probably put them one and two anyway. So you're right. I think that's, that, that does exist. And I think the guys that are behind them um, in the men's field, uh, you know, emerged really big time last year, Berrettini uh, from Italy got to the final He's reaffirmed that coming back off of injury with the titles in Stuttgart and Queens and Hubie Herkatch, you know, from Poland who beat Roger last year, Federer at the, at Wimbledon, the quarters pretty handily and has gone on to prove that was no fluke on grass by, you know, winning Hala and, and pretty much destroying Medvedev in that final there. So I'm not so sure that even the top four might've been the same. Yeah. Know, Cause those guys all, I think deserve, I put Joko first, Nadal second, and then her catch and Bertini, I put kind of co three there in a lot of ways. So, you know, it's a, it's a strong, strong men's field. And you got Alcaraz uh, coming in. Who's got, we, we can both tell, I mean, I'm sure you would agree. has a lot of great grass court tools with his attacking mindset, natural power, ability to shift gears and his ability to improvise on the move. And you got Dennis Shapovalov, who's not had a good run lately, but obviously plays great on grass potentially after his good run at Wimbledon last year and Felix Ojeda-Liassime, who also was, I think, in the conversation along with Nick Curio. So there's a nice field of men's players there. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different different curious names lurking. It, it always feels like, I guess, the grass court surface is more of a learning curve amongst players. And uh, as you mentioned, Daniel Medvedev, not here. It felt like he was starting to learn the surface. I get the sense, I don't know about you, but that Stefano Tsitsipas should have the game to compete on grass and, and be someone who's who's making a push towards a semifinal or more. And uh, he's just coming off his first title on the surface at the Mallorca Open. Last year, obviously a disappointment. He went out to Tiago early but do you think he's someone who's who's kind of in that mix of maybe next year contenders oh good point I, I think he's in that group we were talking about before the guys behind that the top four mm-hmm. definitely belongs in there based on the play in Mallorca and just based on his uh his overall game I think his backhand chip has been exposed sometimes right uh, it's, a, it's a nice looking shot but it sometimes I think it's it's been a little uh, unreliable under big big match pressure I think it's looked pretty good in Mallorca, but, you know, he lost to Curios on grass recently. And it was kind of a shaky big point performance for him in a lot of ways. Like he was sort of, you know, I didn't look a hundred percent confident of, of what he was trying to do out there. I think he's probably gathered steam since then, but I, I think he definitely should have a good grass court game. I mean, he's got uh, that forehand, you know, the plus one forehand for him is a great shot Federer style. Um, it's not super extreme grip. He can handle low balls pretty well. He's a great athlete, really enjoys coming to net. Um, I don't think his first serves as big as some of the guys he's up against, the Berrettinis, maybe even the hurt catches, but he's it's an improving shot. So, yeah, sure, I, I could see him being a contender for Wimbledon for many years if he can you know, get the, the dosage right and the, and the tactics a little bit better. Last season, uh, I mean, when Djokovic got here, obviously, to, to Wimbledon, it, it was a big deal that he had snagged away the French Open, of course, from Nadal. And, you know, that quest for a calendar slam, that was sort of a topic of conversation. Of course, he won three of the first four, got to the finals of the U.S. Open. 
are, are we starting to hear kind of rumblings of, of this topic existing now for, for Nadal? Um, I, I know, as you said, he hasn't won Wimbledon since 2010. It's, it's been 12 years, but obviously the amount of confidence surely he has from uh, winning the first two slams of the season, particularly Australia, which has uh, been a place that has haunted him in the past. Um, maybe that's kind of uh, emerging as, as a new storyline. Well, I think um, I think it's a big story. Personally, I've written two stories about it already, so I, I'm definitely interested. And in, you know, for him, obviously, what has for all those guys, what is the one thing that hasn't been done by right. the big three or the big four? And that's the Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. It's really the missing thing out of this era, which has been so extraordinary in so many ways. And they've managed to break down so many barriers and 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 create sort of a new trend in men's tennis in many ways. But that's still missing. And you couldn't come much closer than Novak came last year. But I mean, I, I know Nadal would love to do it just because of the competitor in him. And I don't think he's necessarily thinking it's going to separate me from the other guys. That's not probably not the way his mind works from having listened to him for 20 years. But um, for me, it would just be extraordinary. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> neither he nor Federer has been in this position before. So um, it's a, it's a great opportunity for him and Wimbledon. I mean, I think he is the second favorite just based on form this year, grass court experience, level of motivation, ambition, all those things. And he's 36. So it's kind of now or never. Yeah. Yeah. You would certainly think so. Uh, I mean, you mentioned our Canadians, which I'm, I'm happy you did. So, and I'm looking at Felix Ojeal, you seem actually in the quarter with Rafael Nadal and uh, we've spoken about him. I, I, quite glowingly, you know, throughout the season, uh, despite a couple dips, maybe in the hard court swing at, at moments, he's really compiled what, what I would say is a, a pretty impressive season. Won his first title in Rotterdam. And he was the guy who, you know, pushed Nadal to the brink at the French open. He was that big first week test that Rafa escaped. Um, what is it going to take, I guess, for Felix to get to that level further where he's not just kind of knocking at the door against the top, top players, but maybe stealing one of these wins. Well, it's a good thing. He's played a lot on grass the last couple of weeks because he's going to need to be sharp from the very beginning because he's playing Mexican Cressy. Mm-hmm. Who maybe not everybody knows around the world, but he's a servant volleyer, French American. He represents the U S and uh, played at UCLA and is clearly got a great game for the surface and really seems to enjoy traditional grass court tactics and got to the final, just, uh, you know, in Eastbourne lost to Taylor Fritz. So he's yep. got form and danger. So Felix got him and has him in the first round. And then he's got, potentially, I would say has a good chance of playing Jack sock. If he gets through that in the second round and socks ranking is nowhere near where it was a former top 10 player from the U S but he's got huge weapons with the serve and the forehand. He's clearly remotivated, um, trying to kind of make the most of his career a little bit on the late side of it, but he's a dangerous customer as well. So Felix has got a tough draw, but I mean, I think for him, uh, you know, with that serve, that overall athleticism, I'm not sure his net game is quite where it needs to be yet, but, um, you know, the ground strokes are, are very solid, takes the ball nice and early, tight to the baseline. I mean, he could go very deep, but those first two rounds are, are tricky. Very tricky. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, Cressy, as you mentioned, that that's a dangerous first round opponent, especially on the surface. We're always looking for those kind of giant killers at a slam, and they seem to emerge often at Wimbledon. We've seen, you know, Kevin Anderson score big upsets in the past. Um, any names that maybe you have circled? Um, uh, just a couple names that come to mind who 
I think could do damage on this surface. Amarin Chilich, of course, he's been to a final here. And Riley Opelka, maybe he's a customer who could uh, cause some problems in the first week. Yeah, you'd think Riley with that big serve, and he's got a good backhand too, moves pretty well. You know, I yep. think, um, I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you also also look at, as a guy who just won in Russ Mullen, I can't even pronounce me even 35 years covering tennis. I can't pronounce the city of the Netherlands where he won the title by surprise, but Tim van Reithoven from the Netherlands yes. is, is coming in with a, with a wild card, justifiably. So, you know, I'm really curious to watch him play and best of five is a different animal than best of three, but he had some quality wins, obviously, you know, beat a bunch of guys that week, beat Medvedev in the final and straight sets. And, you know, he's got a match against Federic, uh, Federico Del Bonis in the first round, which is not a, He's not a grass court specialist by any means, so chance he could win that. And then he would he would play Opoka in the second round if Opoka gets to that through his first round. So that would be an interesting matchup to see those two guys who are both outsiders in the draw and dangerous players, I would think, go at it. They're in Djokovic's section, up at that, mm-hmm. that 16th up there, so that's not where you want to be based on Novak's grass court expertise. But that's an interesting section of the draw. And there's there are there are a few guys lurking for sure. And and I you know I. I don't know if Jack Sox ready to go super deep, but I'll be curious to see how he plays. You got guys like Feliciano Lopez is the oldest guy in a long time to play here. He's 40 years old. Um, you know, he's playing in the, in the main draw. loves to play on the grass. Taylor Fritz, another guy probably worth mentioning, you know, just one of Eastbourne, big serve, big weapons, just kind of getting over in some knee problems that he had tendonitis issues. And he's a guy who I think has had a, had a, on the whole, a very good season and really wants to get into that top 10, such a huge goal for him. And, He's right on the right on the brink of that. Yeah, yeah, he he certainly is. Um, let's shift over to the women's side, which, uh, I mean, our storyline at the French Open it was Iga versus the field, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it it once again feels like Iga versus the field. I, I mean, Sviantek did not have a lead up to Wimbledon, but anytime you have a winning streak of 35 matches and you, you haven't lost since February and you've won six consecutive titles, you have to be the odds on favorite. Do, do you think at least this time around with Wimbledon, as opposed to Roland Garros, it's maybe a little tighter and we're leaning more towards the field as opposed to Iga or, or what are your thoughts? Well, I think that's right. I think you got it. I think you have a pretty well parsed there. And I feel like, Iga deserves to be the favorite just based on the kind of dominance she's shown in the form. But I mean, she herself has expressed that she's a work in progress on grass. I mean, she was, I think, very comfortable being the favorite at the French Open this year. Uh, she felt like she deserved it. Loves the clay. I think she proved to herself that the hard courts are, are a happy hunting ground for herself this year. But grass is very much a question mark for her. And I think with her style of play, with that extreme grip on the forehand, clearly didn't stop Nadal from know, winning Wimbledon twice and getting deep many times, but it's a little bit of a more of a challenge, I think, stylistically for her. Mm-hmm. And she's still also, even though I think she's going to be a very good volleyer at the end and she's played a lot of doubles and she seems to like that idea. Transition game for her on grass where the ball bounces lower and a little bit different timing may not be all in place yet. So I think she could be vulnerable for sure, but I would still put her as a favorite based on her, as you said, her winning streak and her overall form and confidence and progress. And clearly it's a different situation now with missing players at Wimbledon. I mean, without Ashley Barty retiring at age 25, as she did in March, I mean, she would have had a chance to win many, many Wimbledons with her game and the way everything matched up with the variety and the great serve and just the way she moved around the surface and her Aussie, Aussie roots 
and the grass and all that. So I'm sad of all the tournaments that I'm sad she's missing as an observer of the game. I think this is the one I'm the saddest about because it would be great to have Ash Barty in the mix at Wimbledon to kind of set the benchmark and let everybody chase it. Yeah. Without her, without her, I mean, some of the players you'd think would be factors, you know, for sure. Like Karolina Pliskova, who's in Serena Williams' section of the draw. Serena herself, who's 40, unknown quantity. Pushkova's had kind of a tough season since she got to the final Wimbledon last year. So kind of an unknown quantity. Emma Raducanu from Britain, which maybe you want to talk about separately, but she certainly has done very little since the U.S. Open victory last year. Looks like a natural grass quarter with her ability to get low. Good timing from the baseline moves great, but there's just nobody really other than Iga who separated themselves and shown that they have this great amount of form. Barbora Krajikova, who was, I think going to be a great grass court player potentially has been injured most of the last uh, six months. So there's really nobody arriving, you know, with uh, who's among the natural favorites, who's in great form. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, certainly. I I mean, the name that is coming up, I I think on the radar of many people and pundits is Anja Berf, who of course teamed up with Serena in doubles and and cut that short in Eastbourne, but her title in Berlin um, just kind of sent a message that she had gotten over that French Open first round loss uh, very, very quickly and and promptly turned the page. And you feel like stylistically the way she plays, um, her game should play up even more on this surface. I agree. She's got a great grass core game, but that, that French Open vic- defeat was a bit of an alarm bell for me. I just, she came in with a lot of expectation on her mm-hmm. as she will at Wimbledon, because of, as you said, she's got a, a great sort of toolkit for the, for the game on grass did very well last year. Just has all the, all that variety that you love the Ash Barty type variety and the Federer type variety. But I just, I just mentally, I don't know if she's ready to, I hope she is great for the game. I mean, I just as a storyline, Ons Jabur from Tunisia with her incandescent personality and all the boxes that she ticks and how you know crowd pleasing her game is would be great for tennis if she were to go really deeper when or win Wimbledon, I think. But I, I have doubts about her mentality under under biggest pressure and biggest matches for now. I recently did a stat piece actually on, on Serena Williams and some of her achievements at, at Wimbledon. And it, it's quite staggering to think even in her return from uh, having the baby, just getting back consistently to the finals that of the 20 times she's played this event, 11 times she's been competing in that championship match, of course, going seven and four in those finals, you know, some people might point to the U S open being her preferred slam, but it looks like for, consistency over her career Serena has had probably the most comfort and confidence here of any tournament yeah she's done very well in Australia too over the years I haven't crunched those numbers I mean that's, no, that's a good, true. Tournament, good tournament for her yeah doesn't have doesn't have any of that sort of hard court uh, scar tissue that the U.S. Open has for her obviously with all the incidents and sort of crazy things that have happened to her over the years there but yeah I think Wimbledon and the Australian Open are kind of her two happy places I would say in a lot of ways and um and obviously with the stage of her career with mobility being more of an issue, uh, injuries an issue, you know, shorter points are better. Uh, I know grass court tennis has changed, but a good first serve forehand combo from Serena or just a first serve period keeps the points pretty short. I think the power and shot tolerance in women's tennis has really improved. So I don't think her gap in that area is, is very big at all anymore. I think people at the top in women's tennis are used to power now, used to producing it, used to countering it. So I don't think that intimidation factor based on her age and also just the way the games have changed and, and evolved is, is quite as big as it used to be at all. But you're right. Serena 
if she can somehow string together some form and uh, get through a couple rounds, it'll be interesting to see. Because I mean, obviously she is one of the greatest champions in any sport. And uh, we've seen it before where players kind of catch on fire, whether Jimmy Connors at the US Open in his late thirties. And and uh, Serena certainly is, I think from what I've heard, put in quite a lot of time and preparation here, even though it's not so clear from what she said. Uh, she's not just coming out of the blue here. She hasn't played competitively, but she's played a lot more grass court tennis than anybody else in the field. So she knows how to do it. But I just have to question whether she can get through that rust in those opening rounds. And um, especially if she were to play Pliskova in round three, mm-hmm. I kind of hesitate to talk about much beyond that because that would certainly be a difficult challenge for her at this stage. You got potential matches with Coco Goff or Young American as well, Amanda Anisimova after that, which would be really fun to watch. But I'm not talking about those until she gets past round three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tough, tough draw ahead. Uh, I mean, look, I, I'm not just saying this because uh, we're a Canadian podcast. I do really feel like uh, we we have a wild card in this draw, and her name is Bianca Andrescu. Um, we've both been, my, Mike and myself, have been very impressed in her return after the long six-month layoff, getting back this season, uh, going 11-6 and six across 17 matches, and, and really just slowly but progressively building her form. And, uh, you know, we just saw her in the finals of the Bad Omberg Open, and she did get a walkover in the semis from Simona Halep. But, uh, you know, we've, we've seen what BB is capable of when she's at her very best. She's still so early in her career that uh, I, I sense like a breakthrough could be on the horizon. You know, I'm a big Bianca Andrescu fan, as you know. Um, definitely believe in her talent. She has that power variety combo and I think, you know, wonderful movement when she's healthy around the court seems to be in a good space mentally. I interviewed her in Rome before the French open, got a chance to sit down with her there. And she seemed like she had a good perspective on, on her return to tennis. Um, I have noticed, you know, the only thing I've said, gives me a little bit of pause is that she's had control of a couple of matches that she's lost control of. Uh, That's true. Now against Pliskova in Berlin, I think she should have won that match just based on the flow of it. Obviously, I don't remember the exact score. Maybe you'd remember. Well, seven, she, seven, six in the third, but um, I don't remember the full score. No, but I, I think she had she had a lead there that she that she surrendered. She's up a break, I think, in the third set. Right, um, right. And then against um, Garcia as well. So in the final in Bad Homburg, I think she had had that match also uh, in position to take control of it. So she needs to. I've always thought of her as a good closer. Obviously, her her level of play when she had her big breakthroughs. Back at Indian Wells in the U.S. Open, she was very, very good under pressure and seemed to have used her visualization and meditation techniques to, as she said herself, feel like she'd been in these places before, even though she hadn't been. So I think she just needs to find a little bit more, uh, you know, finishing power mentally and physically. But I mean, the tools are there. I mean, the match in in Rome that she lost to Sviantec was a hell of a match first set was one of the best sets I've seen of women's tennis in a, in a while, even though she faded in the second set, lost it, I think it love, but that first set was a sign of how, how good her top end is. So if she can find that top end more often and, and work through some of the jitters and these uh, tight moments. Yeah. She's definitely dangerous. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're super psyched uh, for that North American hardcore swing when she'll of course be back in Toronto too, uh, a site where, you know, she's won a title uh, at the national bank open. And of course uh, what she's done at the U S open just a few years ago, uh, Christopher Clary, what you've done, 
for uh, sports journalism and tennis has been fantastic. Uh, we thank you for uh, sharing your time on Matchpoint Canada for a little Wimbledon preview. Really appreciate it. Hey, Ben, it's always a pleasure talking to you and uh, we'll keep track of the Canadians over here. There you have it, my interview with Christopher Clary. Um, as I said at the top, does have that fantastic book, which I believe is in your possession, Mike, right? The uh, Long and Beautiful Run, the Master Long and Beautiful Run of Roger Federer. I have been <laughs> slow playing the book, not because it's a slow read, far from it, uh, just because I'm enjoying it so much that I don't want to, I don't want it to end anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the pod that uh, he mentions Matchpoint Canada in there along with a nice Jimmy Connors quote talking about how the Grand Slam hunt has really evolved into something so important and special because of Federer and Nadal and Djokovic. So, uh, yeah, enjoying the read. Uh, Going to do a little bit more over the summer, of course. Maybe I'll even finish it by the end of the summer. Who knows? That would be nice. And uh, I should mention before we talk a little more Wimbledon uh, coming up later this summer, we all know National Bank Open action from Toronto, Omnium Bank National in Montreal. And this week and for weeks to come, we are giving away pairs of tickets for lucky listener uh, to get to attend this tournament. And that begins this week. So hopefully you are still with us and listening. We have a code word for you guys if you want to enter a giveaway for the Tuesday, August 9th night session with Bianca on Drescue. Our code word for this week is BB. B-I-B-I. You can send us a DM to at MatchPointCan. You can also send us that DM on Instagram, MatchPointCanada. Or if you even use Facebook, you can contact us with the DM code word on Facebook as well. So remember that code word is BB. And the uh, vibe on center court is going to be electric that night to have Bianca Andrescu, who last won the tournament in Toronto in 2019, returning to her home tournament, a huge tournament. Fans are going to be amped up for this one. So this is really a fantastic one that Tennis Canada is helping us hook you up with. Uh, a lucky winner for two tickets there. And uh, I, we're going to feel kind of like scalpers, I feel like, over the next <laughs> few weeks, uh, giving away all these tickets. Who needs them? Who's selling them? Who wants them? Well, we got them, and we're going to have plenty more. So make sure you keep checking back. We're going to have some other fun giveaways, too, leading up to that tournament and throughout the week as well, as Ben and I uh, you know, become obsessed with tennis from uh, the time we wake up till the time we pass out at our work desk there on site probably uh covering the event from the opening qualifying weekend all the way through to the finals on that final sunday um so you won't want to miss it if you're a big fan of tennis canadian tennis um we're gonna have some pretty good scoops that week for you yeah it'll be awesome i'll be uh consuming dangerous amounts of caffeine but uh it it will be worth it uh without a doubt uh we won't, we won't spend much time talking about that tournament now. Obviously, Wimbledon underway. Broke it down a bit with Chris Clary, but uh, just reverting back to the gentleman's singles draw. Novak Djokovic on the top half, Rafael Nadal on the bottom half. And looking at Novak's draw, are you spotting any names, any spots where he could potentially have any trouble? Or is it pretty smooth sailing, do you think, for that that first week, do you imagine? Yeah, I'm not seeing anything uh, big come up. I mean, someone could say, oh, uh, Riley Opelka, big server perhaps in the fourth round, uh, quarterfinals. I mean, who knows who's going to get there? Alcaraz, uh, if he gets there. Alcaraz, although I'm not sure, you know, on the grass court yet, is he up to snuff on the, uh, you know, learning curve on grass yet? He's got a tough one in Jan Leonard Struff, the big server mm-hmm. in the opening round. Then you got a couple of veterans in there like Andy Murray, who's going to have the crowd behind him, of course, and he's played a little bit of resurgent tennis lately. 
Stan Wawrinka, I don't think has enough, you know, miles under his belt lately, uh, you know, match time lately, but he's in there too. And, and 10th seed Yannick Sinner. So who knows? But to me, I really see the, the first threat, a big threat in the semifinals. And uh, to me, that seventh seeded Hubert Hercatch, who just won uh, a grass court title, the Holly Open, of course, beating Daniil Medvedev, uh, who will not be at Wimbledon, of course, also beat Nick Kyrgios and Felix Ogialiasim. Even Ugo Humbert is a good grass court player. So, Hercatch took out some top names to get to that title. And, uh, and I see him as being a guy who is ready to have some Grand Slam success. I don't mean necessarily hoisting a trophy. He's capable, though, and he's really come up over the last uh, year or so. The confidence is really there. And, uh, and I could see him giving Djokovic some trouble in the, in the semifinals. How about you? Yeah, look, um, he was very first on my radar, I think, in 2019 when he pushed Djokovic a lot in a, a very exciting third round match at Wimbledon and, and took a set off him. And it was very, very tight four sets. And uh, at that point, I think he was just top 40 in the world and, and slowly rising. And he's had a pretty steady progression since then. He's a Miami Open champion. Um, he's been consistently around, you know, that top 15, top 12 threshold, knocking on the door of, of top 10, which he, he did get to as as well and i think he plays his very best tennis on the grass without a doubt big time and, server and he's beat Federer, and he's beat Federer at he wimbledon beat, too and if you can take Roger down last Roger year. Federer, i don't care that Federer was you know not peak Federer and not completely mm-hmm. healthy perhaps in that match but still to go out there and have the nerves to hold through and and carry out the match against Federer uh on center court at wimbledon that to me says uh yeah you're you're good to go against uh, anyone any given day yeah, absolutely. I think maybe he, he might be a player we just kind of lose sight of a little bit before the grass comes around because he's not really as effective on clay. He doesn't really get the results on the clay courts, but dangerous on hard court and even better on the grass surface. And I, I think probably if I look at his draw, it's it's pretty comfortable as well. Maybe if Cam Nori kind of makes it to the fourth round, which is certainly a question mark, he could, he could trouble him there. But a, a lot of the guys in his quarter... I view as more like clay court players. Casper Ruud, who's there, he doesn't really have any grass court experience. Pablo Carreño Busta, another guy who not known to be proficient on grass, that he could have a pretty smooth sailing week potentially. And if he's well rested, you get to that quarter, you get to that semifinals. Uh, who knows, really? I think he's got the best draw of anyone to the semis, to be perfectly honest with you. And mm-hmm. when I compare the top half to the bottom half, I've got question marks everywhere in the top half aside from Djokovic and her catch mm-hmm. and in the bottom half to me it's a much more difficult uh, well-balanced half of the draw sure you've got Nadal and Berrettini who stand out you've got CeCe Pass down there who's playing well just one attorney you've got RBA who plays well on grass Nick Kyrgios to me the 45th player in the world but who owns a three-in-one head-to-head against CeCe Pass including a grass court win uh, over the last couple of weeks I think Kyrgios could be a super dangerous like I could see him getting hot and making it to the final eight or even the final four nothing would surprise me with him neither would an early round flame out where he loses his mind so yeah all yeah. is possible with Nick Curious, of course you got Felix down there you've got Taylor Fritz Chilich the bottom half to me is really loaded with a lot of guys who are comfortable on grass and we're going to get some awesome matchups there uh you know from the fourth round onwards I think 
Yeah, I, I think the bottom half, especially just just has a lot of guys in form too. Like Philip Krajinovic is, is there and just made a final of a grass court tournament. He might face Kyrgios very early on. Tsitsipas, who you mentioned, just won the Mallorca Open and uh, myself and, and Christopher Clary touched on him. And Matteo Bertini's numbers on grass, I mean, this these are pretty ridiculous statistics. His last 35 matches on the surface, 32 and three is is phenomenal, obviously. And I believe, you know, two of those losses, one to, to Djokovic, another to, to Federer. I mean, he's taking out pretty much everybody. And I know he didn't face as many of the top-ranked guys in his his two lead-up tournaments and titles, but but still, to be that strong, especially after missing the clay court swing with an injury, just come back with a vengeance like that is is really impressive. My pick to go to the finals, and I feel pretty confident with that in, in the bottom half, despite Kyrgios potentially, you know, ruffling some feathers, despite Nadal being down there. I mean, Nadal hasn't won Wimbledon since 2010. It's a long time. Um, he says he's playing pain-free for the first time in quite a while, which is great to hear. Um, but to me, I think Berrettini is, uh, I almost want to say, a locked. I feel better about Berrettini getting to the finals in the bottom half than I, I almost maybe do about Djokovic in the top. I feel like her catch could maybe trouble him. So, um, and, you know, that speaks to the confidence that he deserves with the way he's played on, on this surface. Yeah, that no, that that's true. I, I think for Nadal, there are some tough spots early in this field, particularly if he runs into Marin Cilic in the first week. We know how deadly he can be on grass. Could certainly push him, could certainly beat him. Taylor Fritz coming off uh, a title in Eastbourne, uh, beat Nadal, of course, at Indian Wells earlier this season. He did have the rib fracture that surfaced in that match, but still... Um, it's always, I guess, like tough to evaluate how good Rafa is on grass because we see ebbs and flows. He was in the semis, you know, in 2018 and 2019, losing to Federer in 2019, lost a thriller to Djokovic in 2018. So he is capable. You have to think he has the confidence having won uh, the first two slams of the season as well. Yeah, and it's interesting to know that this is the first time in Rafa's career that he's won the first two slams of the year. Like he's never been in contention for the calendar slam because he's never gone to you know in Australia and the French right. Open to come into Wimbledon to have this conversation, which I find, I mean, he's done so much in his career. He's won everything multiple times. He's, uh, you know, potentially the greatest of all time. And he's never had the half season leg up on being able to compete for this thing. So I, I, I mean, my goodness, could you imagine if he was able to win a calendar slam at the age of 36? Yeah, that's it. Just drop the mic. You're done. Right. No one's ever <laughs> touching you ever again. Yeah. You, you almost wonder would he retire after accomplishing something like that? Um, just touching on the Can- Canadians quickly. And uh, I did speak to to Chris Clary about Felix Ojeale's team a little bit. He's the sixth seed. I'd love to see a rematch with Felix and Nadal on the grass after the thriller that they played at Roland Garros. Phenomenal five-set match. I feel like Felix is just knocking on the door. You look at some of his Grand Slam results, five sets with Rafa, five sets holds a match point against Daniil Medvedev on his best surface in Australia. Like, you're waiting for that one big win. I, it has to come at some point. Yeah, he's getting closer. I mean, the good thing is he's got time on his side. What is he, 21 years old? I mean, he's still just a baby almost, you know, so to speak. So mm-hmm. um, love what we've been seeing from Felix. Um, and uh, hey, look, he made, uh, what was it? He made quarters last year at Wimbledon? Yeah, and took Ed Zverev in the round of 16. Big win there. So yeah, I've got him down in the quarters. I think he could trouble Nadal for sure in that quarterfinal match, should they both meet there, definitely. And I mean, between him and Denis Shapovalov, it's not even close. Who do I have a better vibe on, right? Although yeah. Dennis has to 
stop this losing streak and it has to stop against uh arthur render uh render uh, yeah render netch from france yes that does not sound like a french name but anyhow if it was <laughs> i'd be much easier pronouncing it i think but you know who's only twice made it to the second round of a major at the age of 26 so chapeau has to win this match i want to say chapeau is going to win this there's no way he could lose this match is there it's it's so tough to predict what you're going to get from Denis Shapovalov. Um, I mean, you know, the other week he was losing to Benjamin Bonzi, 6-4, 6-1. But this is a guy who's been to the semifinals of this tournament. I, I mean, the highs and the lows uh, that we get from Dennis. I think he writes the ship in the first round. And he does have a pretty nice draw, I'd say, in those first couple matches that you think he gets out of those first two matches unscathed, maybe get some confidence. But maybe he could see Roberto Bautista Goot in the third round if he does he's pick not, up any he's steam. He's not winning that match. RBA, well, not in I, his current form. <laughs> I hate, that's what I mean, right? I hate to say it. And obviously, Canadian podcast, official podcast of Tennis Canada. But we call it as we see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, you'd have to be crazy to predict uh, a deep run from Chapo at Wimbledon. Although we'd be, you know, the first to say bravo if he gets it done. Um, but he's got to win this match. A loss in this first round match is going to be an absolute tailspin for Denis Shapovalov, and um, I don't have much more to say about it than that. I know we're a little bit on the clock tonight, so uh, we got to get over to the women's draw as well, unless there's any men's points that you want to throw in there before we do so. No, no, I think uh, we, we covered it very, very well. Um, I, I touched on this with uh, Chris Clary as well. Igish Viontek against the field, that has to be the narrative again when you have someone who's won 35 straight matches, six straight titles. She's rightfully the number one, and it's honestly a chasm right now in the rankings between her and the number two spot and trickling down. And I, I guess if she's number one, like who who's number two or number three in this list of contenders? I'm struggling with that. I hear you. Uh, I do not see Igis Fiontek winning Wimbledon. Uh, I know she won it as a junior back in 2018, but she's coming in, uh, hasn't played any grass court lead-up tournaments. She says, honestly, I still feel like I need to figure out grass, which doesn't sound super confident to me. Um, To me, I see it going to a veteran player. This is going to be my sort of uh, reach here, perhaps. But, uh, you know, when I was growing up and Christopher Clary said the very first Grand Slam he covered was 1990 at Wimbledon when Martina Navratilova won her final uh, Wimbledon championship. And I see someone who's got some experience on the surface having a great fortnight. I I can't tell you who I think that's going to be, but a player of the uh, ilk like uh, Petra Kvitova. Uh, Carolina Pliskova, uh, maybe even Angie Kerber kind of ah, strings together a yep. nice little run on the grass. You That's know, someone a... who hasn't been playing as well as we're accustomed to seeing. But I like those three players because of their experience. And you got to throw in another veteran's name, despite the fact she hasn't had much action. She's going to be out to prove something. And that's Serena Williams, of course, who's won it, uh, you know, more times than I can count on, on both my hands. And, uh, and, and while I'm not e- expecting her to do so, nothing would surprise me with Serena. So I think it's going to be a vet who walks away with Wimbledon this year. Um, We'll see what happens. I'm glad you, I was waiting for you to say her name because I'm pretty high on Angelique Kerber for this tournament. I'll feel crushed if she like crashes out first round. I'll feel really bad. These things are so unpredictable, but she has a really nice quarter. Honestly, she's starting against Mladenovic. She was sort of all over the place these days with her career, more a doubles player than a singles player. Um, I, I see a pretty nice path to probably coast into the third round. I like her better than Elise Mertens for sure on this service. 
surface and then maybe Jabur, possibly Jabur. Yeah, so maybe we get a, a fourth round showdown with Jabur who's playing great and she's going to want to uh, wash away the sting of that first round loss at the French Open for sure. But Kerber is, you know, she's incredibly experienced. She's won Wimbledon before. She was in the semifinals of this tournament last year. Like the, she loves this surface and this tournament. And I think she can be trouble for a lot of players. So I'm pretty high on her. And we have to, we have to have Coco Goff, I think, in the conversation as well. Uh, yeah. She's great on this surface and coming off her first ever major final. Like she has to be a threat, I would say. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Coco Goff. And I don't say that about many players, old or young these days, but I just get excited watching her play. I get excited listening to her talk. Um, I think she's so great for the sport on so many levels. Just a great kid. And uh, I'm excited about her potentially facing another young American in the third round, Amanda Anisimova. That would be a great match to watch early in the tournament with the winner potentially playing Serena or Karolina Pliskova, the sixth seed. So that part of the draw is very heavy. You've also got just in that quarter, uh, Simone Halep and Petra Kvitova as well. So we're going to see some fireworks in the women's draw. It's going to be, uh, I'm, I'm more excited for the women's draw than the men's draw right now. And, um, and let's not also forget, um, we've got a couple Canadians in there. Rebecca Marino, who is uh, qualified, you know, once again for uh, a slam. Her resurgence, you know, and and um, and rise into the top hundred or close to it has been terrific. Uh, I think she's got some winnable matches there too. I think Definitely. she could, uh, you know, win a couple. And uh, Bianca Andrescu, of course, who uh, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. First final in some time. Great to see her back at that stage. I think both of us were probably even expecting her to win against Caroline Garcia, uh, the veteran from France. That didn't quite work out in three sets. Uh, but I think Bianca's poised to uh, have a, a real breakout moment uh, at a big tournament sometime this year. And uh, and why not on the grass of Wimbledon? She's got a great game that can translate to success on any surface. Why not here? Yeah, I, I think that's the feeling for a lot of people. I mean, that came up when I spoke to Tumani Carriel the other week. He senses a breakthrough could be coming. Clary's high on her as well. She's 11-6 and six since her return, which I think is a great record. And she, she could have won this final against Caroline Garcia. She had a break, I think, in that second set. It was a very tight third set. It felt like she just lost a little bit of control in the match. And things can happen so quickly on the grass court surface as well. But uh, she's playing awesome tennis I, I think the signature win from this past week is beating Daria Kasakina comfortably in straight sets six four six one that I feel like she's a serious dark horse the fact that she's unseated it, it's not an issue for her it's an issue for the rest of the field that's right it's sort of like with Serena and Serena said yeah. the same thing when, when she was asked in pre-tournament press how do you feel about the possibility before the draw was released about playing a top seed and she's like well how would they feel basically about playing yeah <laughs> I love that. It goes both ways. It goes both mm -hmm. ways. I like that confidence and it's well-deserved um, as well. And, uh, you know, Kasakina is someone she won't have to face here, obviously. No Russian or Belarusian yeah. players. And I was going through the ATP and WTA websites to see how many players in the top 50 or top 100 are from Russia on the men's and women's side. On the men's, there's, there's four. On the women's, it won't even show me because the WTA site won't let you filter by... Uh, Russian or Belarusian athletes. They've removed the two countries, even from the wow. search criteria, which I got to say makes my job a little tougher because now I don't know the answer to how many Russian players are in the top 100. But uh, that also changes the dynamic to this tournament. And when you see in your draw, you know, a few more question marks like I've got here, I think in part it's because we're missing some of those top, top players like a Medvedev, Rublev, Sabalenka, uh, and that's going to make some people's draws just a little bit easier uh, on their way to the second week of action.
Yeah, definitely. Sabalenka is the huge name, I think, missing from from the women's side. Um, Annette Contivate holding the second seed. It's hard to say if she's someone who can make a run. We haven't really seen the form there since the early part of the season. So um, pretty open field. We're used to that. And I think that's why we uh, love the the women's tournaments uh, come, come slam time, especially. Anything can happen. Great to have Serena Williams back. Great to have our third major of the season. Reminder, we have a ticket giveaway for the National Bank Open Tuesday night. Our code word is BBBIBI. Send it to us via DM, please. Um, don't add us, but via DM on Twitter at MatchPointCan or Instagram or Facebook. Guys, you've been listening to MatchPoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. Smile.